Hey friends, this is Brian Chatlin, your friendly neighborhood photographer. I am here with the Friends From Work Let's Chat podcast, and I'm doing a film review today for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. If you haven't seen it yet, we're doing spoilers, so drop a like, subscribe, come back later. If you've seen it, buckle in, because I got some things to talk about, and we are starting right, right now. Right now. Everybody come on, let's get down. Get down. Okay, friends, welcome back. Again, I am your friendly neighborhood photographer. I am Brian Chetlin, and I'm here with the Friends from Work Let's Chat podcast, and we are talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp. Quantumania. This is the third entry in the Ant-Man franchise, and it is once again directed by Peyton Reed, who has directed the other two. There's a nice through line of sense of humor. There's a nice through line of family, um, and really kind of enjoyed the entire experience. But we're throwing spoilers down today, so if you haven't seen the movie, final warning, drop a like, subscribe, go away, go watch it, then come back. Last warning. You guys ready? Cool, okay, so my overall impression of this movie, I enjoyed it, it was fun. I was seeing some notes beforehand where they talk about the movie as anything from uh, an Avengers movie where only Ant-Man showed up. Yeah, not inaccurate, I kinda like that. I've seen something that said this was both the most mature movie to come out of Marvel since Endgame, and I've also seen something that said this was the biggest piece of Hoodoo <laughs> that I have that has come out of Marvel in a long time and having seen it They're both right. So let's get into that just a little bit um, first off The overall experience the trailers are given too much away uh, watching the first half of the movie. There's Wonderful things we've never seen before except we've seen them because they're in the trailers It kind of took that away from me. I was a little upset about that actually the first third to half of the movie a lot of the key moments are all in the trailers and none of it was a surprise. Um, they play Kang as a reveal. Kang's already been revealed, it's not a reveal. It, it falls flat if you've watched any of the material that's come out beforehand. Um, you've got uh, some good jokes, some good sense of humor. Um, it was a lot of fun, but you walked out of the theater still feeling uh, deflated, unsatisfied, there was, there was something it wasn't there, and that's really what I want to talk about today. So first off, yeah, getting into uh, the characters. Uh, we've got a recast Cassie Lang, and I think she was fantastic. She was good. Um, she is obviously being set up for the next phase in Marvel. They've been introducing a lot of the younger characters, the younger versions of the heroes to be the next phase, to be young Avengers. She was very definitely being shooed in as the next generation for the Ant-Man stories. Cool. This wasn't really her origin story. It, it was supposed to be. It wasn't. This is really more of a reveal for her. So she was good. She was fantastic. But she was kind of there. Um, we've got uh, Hank. Uh, Hank is fantastic. Um, he plays more of a deus ex machina. He's there. He's the guy that knows more than you think he knows, even though he plays the derpy old guy. And, uh, and the whole thing with the ants coming through at the end, that's fantastic. That actually felt like more of a setup for the future than a payoff, even though they were dropping hints. It's that, you know, if you show a gun in the first act, it's got to go off in the third act. Um, those ants were definitely being set up 
but them showing up at the end feels more like we're gonna be seeing more of that much later. And I'm kind of on board with that. We've got Hope. Um, they still haven't figured out what to do with Hope, the Wasp. They still haven't figured out what to do with that. She is still relegated to support. We've seen in the first two movies, she's better educated, she's a better fighter, she's got her head on her shoulders, she's the more capable person, and yet she's playing support to our wonderful, lovable Paul Rudd. And Paul Rudd did fantastic. Um, I don't feel his characters evolved a lot. They've done very, very well with some of the characters like uh, Thor, where Thor actually had an evolution from movie to movie. I mean, the guy started as a spoiled god king and bit by bit had everything stripped away from him and had to rebuild himself. Um, not seeing any of that with um, Ant-Man. I, I, I'm missing all of that, and I really wish his character had evolved a little bit more. This movie was almost set up as more of a he's realizing he needs to grow up. But we've had two movies already like that. And something's missing there. Something's really not working for me. Um, Janet Van Dyne, um, we've got some really great screen time with her. She's got some fantastic dialogue with some of the characters. I love seeing that she's got something she's been up to for the last 30 plus years when she was in the quantum realm. We've got an entire um, story that's been missing. Was time frozen for her? How did she survive? There's all these questions that were unanswered in the other movies. We now have answers. I love that, that's fantastic. Why was she keeping it a secret? Even in this movie, why was she keeping it a secret? That actually bothered me in the first third to half of the movie. Every time she'd pop up and she's being deliberately cagey still. They're literally in danger and she's not telling anybody what they're in danger of. Did you guys see the, uh, the Tomorrow War? The, the, the movie uh, that was on Amazon, I think a year or so ago, where you've got a portal opens to the future and we need to grab people from now to go into the future and fight these things called the white spikes. We're not gonna show you what they look like because you would die of fright. So wait, 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 you're gonna, you're gonna send me into the future to fight this thing that once I see it, I'm gonna die of fright, but you're not gonna warn me. Your logic's broken, man. So here we got Janet and she's leading them through the quantum realm and you get to see bit by bit. She knows things and that's nice to see. Why are you keeping things a secret still? They're having long sequences in between where she's still obviously not telling anybody anything. I don't like that. I think that's, that's a weird plot point to do. Now, all of the characters, this brings us down to Kang, Jonathan Majors, oh my Lord. I love how he's playing the role. I've heard some people that say they hate it. I disagree. I absolutely love it. He is playing this role as a malignant, uh, absolutely dangerous narcissist. And it's amazing because when, as long as you serve his purpose, he's benign, he's benevolent, he's harmless. But the minute you cross him, what you see is narcissistic rage. What you see is him going zero to a thousand, I will end you. And the weird thing is, we know people like that. We know people that if you gave them those kind of powers and that kind of suit and that kind of everything else, I could totally see them doing that. I love how he's playing the role. It is probably one of the most relatable bad guys we've had. Thanos was a true believer. He's been through something. He's witnessed a thing and he truly believes that his way is the best way. That made him dangerous. That made him scary. Looking at Kang, Kang is utterly self-absorbed utterly narcissistic, and you are not even a person in his eyes, which means you can't negotiate with him. You can't reason with him, and that makes him actually truly scary. I loved him as a bad guy. I think it was fantastic. 
So let's get into the plot. Um, getting into the plot, we get the absolute getting dumped into the quantum realm because Cassie Lang created a beacon. It gets the attention of people down there. They, they bring them down and then they get scattered. Now you've got to have this entire thing where they're finding each other. And you get these wonderful characters that pop up and my favorite character of the entire thing. Hold on, his name is Veb. And you remember him. He's the little dude that's made of gelatin that's got the big wavy arms that says, I have holes. This guy is the mascot of the movie for me. We needed him. He makes the entire movie. Love him. More of him, please. Now, what's funny is he was voiced by David, da I'm going to murder his last name. I'm sorry. David Dastalmachian. Dastalmachian. I'll get this right. You're gonna recognize him. He was Polka Dot Man in Suicide Squad, so he's now making the crossover from DC to Marvel. Well done, sir. Loved the role. Fantastic. Bring us more. Um, somewhere along the way, we get introduced to Modoc. And I know Modoc is gonna be a huge, you either loved it or hated it. I think it was, it was fun the way they brought this character in that makes no sense when you really look at it. They found a way to make it sense, make it make sense. They found a way to bring him in, in a way that, okay, I can buy this, I can go along with this. And he's damaged upstairs. He is so insecure that he really, really, really needs to be the bad guy. And I love that at the same time, you've got Kang not doing monologues because he doesn't need you to understand anything he's up to. You've got, um, Modoc constantly doing these monologues and getting interrupted because he's not the bad guy. Nobody cares what's coming out of his mouth. He's just a thing. Yeah, he's got weapons, he's got guns, he's scary because he really, really wants to fire them off at you. But he's not the bad guy, he's the thug. And I love that he kept getting cut off in his monologues. That was one of the best parts for me. The piece at the end where he's got a teenage, young 20s girl telling him, dude, stop being a dick. Love that. <laughs> so, not enough people say that to villains. I love that. I think the scene went on a little too long. It went from being, hell yeah, to... Uh, okay, okay, let's go on. Uh, if the scene had been cut off just a couple of lines shorter, I'd be absolutely on board with it. Love it. Uh, his death scene was fantastic because, again, he needs to be important. He really wants his death scene. Am I the only one that didn't think he was actually dead? I mean... I was expecting one of the end credits, because Marvel usually does one serious end credit sequence, one comedic end credit sequence. I was expecting Modoc to open his eyes and go and just make something, some sort of a comment, because he thought he got his death scene. He got, thought he got his Oscar. I love that. That's fantastic. I wish that had happened. Um, so we get in toward the end of the movie, and this is where my frustration was kicking in. And I think I know why, because you walk out of the movie unsatisfied. There was something you weren't given. And it was the ominous foreboding that never paid off. The credits absolutely, or not credits, excuse me, the trailers absolutely led us to believe somebody's dying. The, the uh, trailers, I keep wanting to say credits, the trailers keep, <laughs> the trailers keep leading us to believe that Ant-Man dies. And I was braced for it. I was ready for it. I was seeing the entire buildup. Him starting to understand that even though he's been a part of big things, he's not a big man. He's not really that important. Him starting to understand that he needs to make a sacrifice. Him starting to understand that everybody else is putting work in that he's not putting in. Was paving the way for him to make 
a sacrifice that would have been relevant. That's, that is what they do in movies and in TV shows. They have somebody realize they need to do something important and that is how they go out. They have paved the way the entire movie for Ant-Man to die. And then you get to the end fight sequence with the standard, nameless, faceless, CGI army, whatever. We need a big fight, it's how you do it. Um, but you get the nameless, faceless, CGI army come in and you get this battle. And the way these battle sequences are supposed to go is um, the good guys come in and the fight starts and the fight starts building. We're winning, we're winning, we're winning. And then there's supposed to be a drop off. There's supposed to be um, the scene in Return of the Jedi where suddenly explosions go off and you see the Ewoks rolling away and going, which you know the sound, you know the sound. Um, it's suddenly the traps aren't working. Suddenly the reinforcements of the bad guys come in and suddenly all hope seems lost. Suddenly you realize that this is actually a fully armed and operational battle station. And those don't judge me. That was the best I had. <laughs> but suddenly it, everything looks, all hope is lost. And then the good guys rally and then they manage to grab a victory out of that. They didn't do that in this. They did victory, 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 victory. A couple of people died and like the houses holding each other, which by the way, side note, loved the houses. I want one. Um, the houses holding each other. And then victory, 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 victory. Big fight so that there's a lot of tension and then victory. And then another portal opens up because suddenly Cassie Lang is this super genius who knows how to go from making a beacon to making portals somehow. A portal opens up, the two of them step through it as though nothing was amiss. And then they go back home and then I'm glad they actually had Scott walking along the street and realizing something was off. But there's an entire thing missing there. I was expecting Scott to die. I was expecting Scott and Hope to get caught in the quantum realm. They made the choice. They made the sacrifice. The portal closed. The two of them stood side by side and I could absolutely accept them being stuck down there while Cassie goes on and goes on a, a rampage to try to figure out how to bring them home and now she's got a reason. No, everybody made it home alive. No consequences. And you walk out of the theater going, Okay. And that I think is where the disappointment comes in. I was expecting some sort of consequences. I was expecting some sort of a tragedy. Not sure how I feel about that. Kind of disappointed. Now, talking about connections to other movies. Um, obviously, definitely set up for Loki season two, which I am absolutely on board with. Love that piece. We've got the Council of Kings. Uh, almost exactly as it was pictured in the comics, they found a way to pull that out. Fantastic, I'm loving that. We've got Rama Tut, and Rama Tut actually is referenced in, um, we, we see an image of him on screen in Moon Knight. So he actually exists in 616. Um, you've got all of these different pieces in there. There was one version of Kang in a blue power suit that we don't know who that is. But can I get a show of hands or click like in the comments or something? Anybody that thinks Kang, when he fell into his reactor, is not dead. Scott was down there. Scott turned into a thousand Scots. And he was only able to uh, unite and come to a, a success because he was able to find a unified purpose. Kang is nothing but unified purpose and focus. He didn't die, right? Anybody else think that? I'm pretty sure. So, foreboding. But I was also expecting that to be one of the end credit pieces. 
I was expecting them to hint in some form or fashion that he's not dead. Of course he's not dead. But there's an entire piece of the end of the movie where you just kind of walk out of the theater going, well, that was fun. And all I remember is the houses, the squiggly guy, and uh, that's about it. <laughs> so what did you guys think? That's my review. I enjoyed it. I would definitely recommend watching it. It's definitely going to be tying into what comes next, especially, by the way, when you stop and realize that we have seen Kamala Khan's bracelets or uh, uh, her, uh, yeah, bracelets. Um, you get the 10 rings and now you get um, uh, Kang's entire system of rings and his reactor and his everything else. It is all a set of glowing ring devices. So the question is, is did Kang drop the rings off in 616 much, much long ago? Uh, much long ago. We're going to go with that. Whatever. Uh, same thing with Kamala Khan's uh, bracelets. It, are these from Kang? Are they powered by Quantumania energy? Is this what we're building toward? I'm kind of curious to see what that builds up. But uh, yeah, what do you guys think? You got some comments? I would love to hear. I know you have opinions. Leave comments down below. Keep it nice. Keep it civil. But I do want to hear. I will try to respond. Um, like, follow, subscribe. I am Brian. I am at Chatlin Photo on Instagram. I am your friendly neighborhood photographer. Drop in and say hi. And you know, this is a Friends from Work Let's Chat podcast. And we'll see you guys next time. That wraps up another episode of the Friends from Work Let's Chat podcast. Tune in each week as we discuss all things pop culture, and you may catch a special guest or two. Be sure to follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and subscribe wherever you get great podcasts. I'm Courtney Cheek, and on behalf of myself, Rick Shu, and Brian Chatlin, we are the Friends from Work. We thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Freak Base, take us out. Get down.